welcome to Talkward. I'm Marty Dundix, editor in chief of the Humorous Magazine, and this is Talkward, uh, a fun little uh, fun little show where uh, professionally funny people come and tell uh, cringeworthy stories. Oh, do you give a cringeworthy story? I didn't prepare one, but I'm you sure always I forget come to tell people. <laughs> I always forget to tell people. Today, my guest is Caitlin Conkel. Caitlin is a comedy writer, extraordinaire, teacher, um, author, uh, dog mom, book club runner. Have I left anything out? No, that sounds like a lot of great is stuff. Is that a lot me. of stuff? <laughs> it's like I sound like both like cool and hip, but also like a middle aged mom of like five. So that's like my ideal intersection. <laughs> well, welcome to Talkward. Thanks Thank for coming. Thank you for having me. Um, you've had a pretty exciting couple of months. I have, yeah. It's been exciting. That like feeling where you're both excited, but also so tired and nervous. Yeah. Yeah. So one of those. <laughs> well, you co founded uh, the Belladonna Comedy, which is a uh, comedy website. Uh, Written by women for everyone. Yes, That's by kind women of and other marginalized genders, so non-binary people, um, gender non-conforming, and everyone can read it. <laughs> we want as many readers as possible. And you, how many writers do you have on the Belladonna? So we've worked with over 200 writers, and we send out a newsletter also every month to anyone who's ever submitted to us, and that newsletter now goes out to over 500 writers. That's huge. I know. It's uh, time-consuming, but it's great, and we try to you know, give them tips about other sites, so we'll refer them to Weekly Humorist and like... <laughs> points in case and just like you're like the stuff that we don't want you can send it to these guys (laughs) and i love it it's great it's very helpful for me and points in case and robot butt (laughs) we just want people and the new yorker yeah i'm sure there have been we've had people actually get rejected and be on mcsweeney's i don't know about the new yorker yet but we actually rejected someone we're like this sounds too much like mcsweeney's and they were like cool good tip and then we saw it on mcsweeney's monks is like i want it (laughs) So, that made, yeah, that feels good. Um, but it's more just like kind of part of our mission is like get more women comedy bylines. So yeah. we don't really care where they are. We yeah. just want people to have them. Yeah. I feel like you've you've found so many people. Yeah. You know? Like it's not just the same, let's say, 10 to 20 people that you always see always published. It's like new people. It's maybe people that haven't published comedy before. Yes, exactly. You know? <laughs> I always find that very interesting. I, I I had a guy recently that submitted something for Weekly Humorist, and it was very funny, and I used it. And in his and I didn't realize, but in his bio, he wrote, "This is uh, Sam's first published piece." Oh wow! And it was after I had already published it. I was like, you know, putting all the stuff together. I was like, wow, this is the first thing this guy has written, and it's amazing. And that's a great yeah. feeling to be like the one who got to publish it. You know? I think some there are like different kinds of submitters. I think there's the people who like write literally anything and put it into any sort of written form and they're like this is good and they send it off for submission and then i think there's people who are like lurkers who like work on things for years and they're always concerned it's not good and when they finally send something out it's actually very very good yeah so um yeah we definitely get some people who i think we get a lot of people trying to transition from like journalism into straighter or uh, more comedic writing so we kind of help them like pump it up and heighten more and be a little crazier but uh yeah we've worked with a lot of writers who have never written comedy before that's incredible. I think it's fun. And it is fun. you guys wrote, so let's talk about the Belladonna. So uh, it's a group of four of you. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, Brooke Preston. Yes. Carrie Whitmer. Correct. Um, Fiona Taylor. Very good. Did I say that correctly? Yes. <laughs> and yourself. The hardest of names, Fiona Taylor. <laughs> and how did you guys all meet? We met um, just somewhat, Carrie in a Facebook group said, um, I want to make a website. <laughs> and um, I had been feeling just like I needed to do something else. Like a a lot of people in comedy, I'm sure can relate to this. It feels like your career is out of your hands a lot of the time. Like other people are the gatekeepers and you don't necessarily have the tools to your own success or failure in your own hands. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to create something that gave me like a little bit more agency. So when Carrie posted that she wanted to start a site, I was like, me too. And then Fiona hopped on. And then um, I had worked with Brooke when we both lived in Portland, Oregon. So I was like, hey, I know this great woman who lives in Ohio now who is an awesome writer and also super organized and really fun and nice. <laughs> and then the four of us hopped on an email chain in October 2016, and that was that. We've talked probably every day since then. <laughs> and you have like a like a, like a G-chat thing? Like G-chat. how do you guys all communicate? G-chat. We don't text very often, and we don't talk on the phone that often. Mainly G-chat. <laughs> and where does Fiona live? She's she in lives Brooklyn. in Jackson Heights. In Jackson Heights. In Queens, yeah. In Queens, okay. 
And she's not in our book club. And Carrie's not in our book club. No. Our book club, I had to keep some comedy people out because we need to. We needed like a little diversity of thought. So yes, Marty and I are in the same book club. <laughs> it meets in my apartment in Park Slope. Luckily, Marty only lives like four blocks away. <laughs> so close. So it's very convenient. And we meet once a month. And this month is actually your book club pick. I was so nervous about... Um, being the one who had to pick the book. And if you've noticed, and it's laughably obvious that the book I picked was like it probably half the amount of pages of all the other books that people pick. I'm getting texts from people saying they really like it. Really? Yes, and that they're enjoying like having a summer read because we've been reading some heavy stuff. Like yeah. the month we read Lolita, I think, was rough on everyone. <laughs> yes. And our book club was just like stories of like times people abuse their power, which is like good, but also kind of a heavy topic. And I feel like next week we're going to talk about travis mcgee i gotta read the book i have to read the book too i haven't read it yet i only know the name of the character which are is your book club schedule like do you read like three days before yes me too okay okay good i'm a fast reader but now i'm like pushing it too far like i started rereading Watchmen last month like two days before book club and that was way too fast yeah i'm finding myself like um i'll think about how i need to start the book maybe a couple of weeks ahead of time and i'm like i got so much time yeah (laughs) and then it becomes like one week and i'm like i got like four days i'm fine and then it gets to be like two days i'm like marty what did you do i know and that's when i start getting things on audible and i start trying to listen to the book at the same time like maybe i can force it into my brain as quickly as possible maybe i can sleep on it under my pillow <laughs> absorb it osmosis yeah, you're like the multiple method one you'll like read it and listen to it <laughs> because i'm because i'm so late i'm just like speed reading i bet this is a really good audible book though just from what i've read off the back of the book yeah <laughs> you know so, the blurbs so the book is the blue goodbye right the deep blue goodbye the deep blue goodbye i had a hard time finding it at books are magic but someone helped me and i found it oh, did you find it it was classified in mystery not fiction yeah it's mystery okay. well yeah it's mystery okay um it's a good book though and there's like 25 of them or 30 of them okay like, great. it's a big series i look forward to reading it next monday and tuesday <laughs> wednesday morning <laughs> and wednesday afternoon right yeah. before <laughs> as i'm walking the dog just like mainlining the last few pages before everyone comes over yeah um so you guys had this big moment where you wrote something for did, did you write it for the new yorker we, you just wrote something. We wrote a piece together that okay. started in Gchat. And the four of us have co-written quite a bit now. Um, and so we're really good at it. And I think um, we were like talking about like getting a sponsorship. And we wanted like someone to deliver LaCroix to us. And hopefully it would be Tom Hardy. Um, and someone's like, oh, great. That's like erotica for women. And we all laughed. And then we like pitched a few more jokes on it. And I was like, oh, this is good. I'm going to dump these into a Google Doc. Um and then we just started shaping all of them and it became a piece that I think initially was called like porn for liberal women, which is not a good name. <laughs> no. Your name's great. I, yeah, it took a few iterations and then we um, submitted that to New Yorker and they, even though they liked it, they said no, which turned out to be good. And then we changed the title because McSweeney's has like a famous piece called Porn for Punctualists. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to take porn out of the title. And so we literally came up with new erotica for feminists out of necessity. <laughs> um, and that was good, too, because then we like adjusted the piece to like put it more into like erotica tropes. Yeah. And then um, that went on McSweeney's in February and went viral, which has never happened to me before. Really? <laughs> in all my years writing on the Internet. <laughs> So when did you start? Well, A, I just reread the McSweeney's piece uh, again this morning. It's it's a quick read. It is, you know? yeah. Because I was trying to, to prep, and I, I think I remember it being longer just because the story came out, it went viral, you guys got a book deal, all this stuff happens, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to catch up on it. It was a short piece. Yeah, I think it was under impactful. 800 words. Yeah. Yeah. But it's short. Very short. And so we, like, I think it was like, it came out on a Tuesday and then like a couple days later, we just got an email from an editor in the UK that was like, hey, have you thought that this could be a book? And we were like, just write back yes, <laughs> even though we had no idea how it would become a book at that point. And then they made us like a physical offer with money two days later. Money's nice. And we were like, whoa, like she's for real. This isn't a phishing scheme. Yeah. And then we had to get a lit agent that weekend. And then we had to put together a book proposal to try to sell in the U.S., which was extremely time consuming. <laughs> um, and we were actually all teaching a show at Brown in Providence that weekend. But actually, it was seemed unlucky at the time, but it turned out to be lucky. There was a freak snowstorm, so Brooke couldn't make it in. So while we did the show, Brooke like wrote the majority of the book proposal in Ohio. That's good. <laughs> so we came back from the show like exhausted. Teach- we taught a workshop, and I opened up the doc and was like, oh, damn. Good job, Brooke. <laughs> hey, right, we're done. Well, it has to be easier to put together a book proposal when you've already sold the book overseas. 
Right. Yes, but you still have, it was like a 45 page document. Yeah. We had to write new material for the US. So that's when we started to experiment with some longer pieces. So we wrote like a Bible parody with Adam okay. and Eve. Um, we had to like do a table of contents, which we just, Brooke just like made up, but then is the table of contents yeah. that's in the book essentially. Um, so like a lot of choices made that March weekend have stood. That's good. Maybe you have a good, good gut uh, choice uh, maker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And so the book got put together, and I'm looking at this great card of the new uh, cover that did the big cover reveal on Monday. Yes, so Shondaland did a cover reveal. Yeah. We got the cover last week, and we scrambled to find an outlet to do it. Uh, Marty is holding. I'll do a visual aid. Thank I you. accidentally made book postcards that are the size of actual books, so they're significantly <laughs> too large. <laughs> this could be the entire book. Just It's just printed on the back of this My card. My husband asked if these, these were the books that they had already come, and I was like, nope, they are just giant <laughs> postcards I accidentally printed. <laughs> So Marty it's has one those. page of the book. It's just the front. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna like hand those as promotional material. Although like they're literally too big for a pocket or a purse, they have to be put into like a backpack or like a shopping bag at this point. It's great. Um, is there a lot of pizza in the book? There is a pizza vignette, but we kind of so the sign looks kind of like a peep show sign. It's yeah. a neon. Um, and then there's a little dripping pizza icon. The pizza is wet, as someone put it. <laughs> it is. But, is a wet slice of pizza, but we needed something that like wasn't erotica, so like lips couldn't right. work. That is like associated with erotica, so we're like, what's our erotic erotic ideal? And it was a good piece of pizza. <laughs> no argument. That's great. Yeah. And then I noticed you guys have uh, been doing great promotion. You have your own Instagram and Twitter. And... At New Erotica for Feminists on Instagram, at N-E-F-F, the book on Twitter. And we're just rating things erotic or not erotic. So Elon Musk making those Republican Super PAC donations is not erotic. Not erotic. Um, however, uh, Mama Mia number two, here we go again, getting great reviews is erotic. It is erotic. So yes, yeah, so we're just going to be rating things as we go. Erotic, not erotic. This and is then fun. on the Instagram, we're just like posting photos of uh, famous people and then claiming they're reading the book. <laughs> so. Yeah, I saw the one from Paul Newman. Thank you. I did that one. I was happy. There's that a lot a very... of photos of Paul Newman reading. I felt very blessed. <laughs> He's a big reader, that Paul Newman. Big. We actually had a Paul Newman vignette in the book about having sex with his ghost in the Newman's Own Salad Dressing Factory. <laughs> but that was cut because the UK does not have Newman's Own. Oh, they wouldn't get it. So yeah, we're going to have to use that as a promotional piece. Okay. Cut. <laughs> Cut because it was too hot for the UK. The notes we get on this book are so like we just got copy editing notes yesterday, and and Carrie called her dog Rebo her biological son, and they were like, "We're we don't know if this is actually your son or you call your dog your son. It's only correct if it's actually your dog." <laughs> we're like, "Okay, we can just accept that edit. <laughs> we can take that." Was it really hard? How long did it take to to to, to write this? Because you sold the book mm-hmm. and you had not written the book yet. No, we had written so like another So you had kind of bitten off something. Yeah, 2,000 words in the process of doing the proposal, uh-huh. which was good, because then we had to deliver like a week after we signed with the U.S. agent, the first batch, and we are like, okay, good thing we did that 2,000 words. Um, but we ended up delivering 13,000 words um, in about three and a half months. That's a lot. I know, and they're all jokes. It was tough. <laughs> is, it, is the structure of the book in relation to the original piece, um, are they just much, is each thing much longer? Like each little joke, is it just a whole little section or is are all the sections themed? They're themed. Okay. So we have like, I don't know if I can name all of them, but we have Everyday Erotica, which a lot of the ones from the original piece fall into. So like, you know, just... LaCroix, Tom Hardy. LaCroix, Tom Hardy, Pizza Man, Not Being Inappropriate. Um, then we have Parenting. Um, so one of them is I breastfeed in public, everything is fine and no one stares at me. Not a real thing at the moment. Uh, we have historical erotica, literary erotica. Um, and then there are two other categories, but I can't remember them right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to have to wait and get the book. There's sex and dating erotica, and then okay. there's one other one. <laughs> pop, oh, uh, p- uh, pop culture. Pop culture? Yeah. Have you already thought of new things that you want to put in the next book? We had some that we had to cut. Um, I was trying to write one about a manic pixie dream girl who was in therapy because she didn't want to be a manic pixie dream girl anymore. But I like <laughs> to make it adhere to an erotica trope. It had to seem like she was going to have sex with her therapist. I just mm-hmm. like couldn't make that happen. <laughs> um, and then some like I wrote one with Nancy Drew doing sex ed with the Hardy Boys, but the editors were like, "That's just a bunch of minors yeah. <laughs> talking about sex." So not going to happen. Yeah, for like class and dignity reasons, we had to cut some. <laughs> Now you know where the line is. You know? It's hard as I'm sure you know as a comedy person when you talk to like 
normal people, yeah. you're like, oh, my sense of what's appropriate is like a little off. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can kind of test the waters pretty quickly and you're like, oh, that didn't uh, didn't work, huh? Especially when you are surprised at what doesn't land. Like yes. you say something and just silence. You're like, huh, did not expect that. Yeah, and, or that like they laugh at something joke. that is completely stupid. Yeah, they think totally that's banal. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the stuff, like the breastfeeding one, we kind of threw that one in and they were like, we love this. What an essential truth. And we were like, oh, we were worried that one didn't have a good enough joke. Yeah. But... They're like, that one is kind of filler, actually. <laughs> it's crazy to turn stuff in and you're like, oh, they're definitely going to cut this stuff. Like we wrote one about Eleanor Roosevelt and we're like, that's going to be cut. And it sure did not get cut. <laughs> what is it about Eleanor Roosevelt? Uh, it's like it's a her, parody it's of her. her erotica? It's, well, do you know how Eleanor Roosevelt wrote my day columns for the paper every day? I did not. So every day she would talk about what she did the day before. So we kind of like parodied one of those, but um, it's like a pretty open thing that she had a relationship with a woman named Lorena Hickok. Mm -hmm. So like in the middle of one of them, she's just like having sex with Lorena Hickok (laughs) and then goes about her day. (laughs) So yeah, that was super fun to write, but I was like, that's not going to be allowed in. And then I was like, oh, wow. Okay. They were all about it. Sounds good to me. Love a little Eleanor Roosevelt thick. So when... Your comedy writing, you didn't start out doing comedy, right? I did not. What did you start out doing? I was all about the drama. I really, like, wrote, like, super dark short stories in undergrad, like... Like, like, Jillian Flynn type dark? No, just, like, angsty. Mm -hmm. Like, I was only 18, 19. I did write some more comedic stuff as I finished college. I took a screenwriting class, and I went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, so they didn't have, like, a huge writing program. What made you go to Johns Hopkins? Um, I don't know. I... I liked Baltimore when I went down there and I kind of have this, I'm super competitive. So I was like, I need to go somewhere where the, like there's really smart people who I can compete with all the time. My mom was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> then you should go down there. Um, and it turned out to be good because I eventually met my husband there. So, um, but yeah, most of the people I went to, no joke, are, I went to college with are now like pediatric neurosurgeons. Yeah. So on it took a different path. <laughs> yes, definitely. And then, you went into comedy writing from college? No, took an even longer detour. What I did went, you do after college? Um, I did this thing called a Fulbright teaching assistantship in Indonesia for a year. And okay. I just moved to Indonesia and taught English in a Muslim public high school for a year. That's interesting. <laughs> it was interesting. You're just gaining tons and tons of background to make jokes about later. Yes. And just you like, know? that's where I learned to teach, honestly. Like, we, we went to Jakarta for six weeks and they were like, cool, here's basic indonesian to get around cities where no one knows english here's how you teach um here's how to control a classroom of 45 kids all right you're gonna get out of this little plane and fly to the far side of java see you later have fun yeah so that was a big learning curve and you did that for a year mm-hmm. and then you came back here and then i went to northwestern i got my mfa in writing for the screen and stage straight up only wrote dramatic things wow. <laughs> really just like burning through a lot of runway money do you just have a ton of like scripts laying around yeah, that are just like not, I like not good and I don't want to deal with <laughs> that them. That are not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're so dramatic. They're, and at this point, I'm only 20, I'm still 23, 24. What are the kind of topics that you were writing these these plays oh about? Oh my God. Um, I do remember, we want to talk about an embarrassing story. I wrote, sure. so you know in theater, the fourth wall is like the uh, the audience? Right. I literally, like, the first time I wrote a play, like, was describing stuff that was, like, hanging on the fourth wall. And they were, like, the fourth wall is the metaphorical wall between the theater and the audience. And I was like, oh, damn, never heard that before. <laughs> I also pronounced uh, deus ex machina, deus ex machina. I like I your way better. never heard of this stuff before. Um, yeah, it was, like, people in my program are much older than me, and they were way smarter than me. Yeah. Again, my... It's like how I feel uh, about me in book club. But it's, it's fun. Like, you can, there's some freedom in being like, I was like, oh, I'm straight up like the worst person here. Like, I don't need to worry about yeah. my spot. Like, I'm 12 of 12. Yeah. Um, I do, I, the one thing I, I noticed I was really, like, very good at was um, I was really good at giving notes. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that just, like, even if I couldn't write a good screenplay, I, like, understood structure and I could give notes to other people that made perfect sense. Um, so that was cool to learn. I was like, you know what? Your writing sucks, but yeah. these are solid notes. Did you... When you wrote plays and things, what were the were they relationship based? Were they couples? Were, were you know like what were the were, were the types of people that you were writing about? People that you could write about in a funny way now, like you wrote about them in a dramatic, angsty way then, but you could still flip that. Like have you have you written like not, not well, sketch? Have you written sketch before? I like, have written sketch. Like you've taken your your narrative, angsty, dramatic background and just like made it funny. 
I think I start to naturally do that later. Like I was writing stuff that was absurd, but I would try to write it dramatically. Like there's a story in my family. I don't even know if this is true because my, my family kind of like lies and exaggerates a lot, myself included. <laughs> no, no shame. You're writers. That's creativity. Um, but like there's a story that my aunt on my dad's side had like married this guy who had a brain tumor. And so he told her she, uh, he wanted a divorce and she and the doctor was like the brain tumor is literally changing his behavior and so she's like okay great well let's get his brain surgery and then we'll still be married and he got his brain surgery and then asked for the divorce like in the recovery room <laughs> so that part of your brain was working <laughs> yeah so i like wrote a short we cut play out the about part that. that maybe loved me <laughs> yes and people were like, that's so dark. It's like, it's not, it's too dark to be dramatic. And I was like, this is a true story. But I realized now that that's an absurd story. I thought it's great. <laughs> I know, but I, I needed to like add some dark comedy, but I didn't know how to do that yet. I just wrote things as they occurred. And that could have been like, a, that could have been a Ray Bradbury in the Illustrated Man type story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, so maybe I should t- return to that. Because I remember being like, I don't know. I think it's interesting that you're like, oh, great. Like once he has this brain, this traumatic brain surgery, it's all going to be fine. And someone's like, no, dude, it was you the whole time. <laughs> He just hates you. Yes. And so that's like the dark humor I came to like later. But um, like I remember I wrote a TV pilot called Big Time about like an athletic director in like a Big Ten school. Like these. I would watch that. Like Big Time is good. I've read it since then. Um, and I, I swam and stuff in college. So I like knew like. Well, what do you watch um, for comedy? Did you ever watch? Um, um, God, what was that? Blue Mountain State? No, I never watched that or like Coach or anything. Blue Mountain State is really it's dirty, but it's it's smart, but it's dirty. It's definitely like it aimed at like a college bro. Okay, but it does have good writing. It's on. I think it might be on Netflix. It was on Spike okay. for like three seasons. I'm gonna check it out. And it's like it follows the uh, the football team at the college, and it follows the backup quarterback who's the second stringer who doesn't want to be the number one quarterback because he wants to just like coast. Yeah. Doesn't want to be the the star of the of the team at all. He just wants to hang out and and party. And it's really kind of funny. It's got a lot of, you know, male poop jokes, but it's got a heart underneath. I think this was a drama, but if I were to rewrite it now, I would go in and make it like Make it like campy. a dark comedy. I would make it campy like the way Billions is campy. Yeah. Cuz Billions is a perfect show in my opinion. I have never seen Billions. <gasps> you would love Billions, Marty. They also film it in Park Slope. Do they film it in yes, Park Slope? Yes, Paul Giamatti's house on the show is the is the apartment behind mine. His trailer is in front of my house sometimes. I've tried to meet him numerous times. I, I actually once was walking in front of them filming, and I didn't realize they were filming because I was just walking with the this dog. This is on Showtime, right? Is on Showtime. Showtime. Okay. And someone was complimenting me and the dog, and I was talking, and at a PA was like, can you be quiet? We're like actually filming. <laughs> Somebody's complimenting me and my dog. <laughs> next next thing someone says, can you all shut up? So I was like, fine. So I moved to the corner, and then I'm just standing there because I'm Paul Giamatti is like filming on the stoop with uh, the actor who plays his dad. And they came out and told me I was in Mr. Giamatti's eyeline with my dog. And I had to move again. And I was like, it's a public sidewalk. But I was very proud. <laughs> Mr. Giamatti is getting distracted by your... <laughs> by Xander? By <Uncle>. Xander. <laughs> by Xander. But yeah, it's a billions to me is like, it's like nailing. I'm watching Succession now. And Succession is... Just started watching that two days ago. I enjoy it, but it takes itself really seriously. Whereas Billions is like... It's insane that the two leads who constantly are in lost legal battles would be in a sa- the same room alone all the time. So yeah. we just need to acknowledge that this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I would prefer Billions over Succession, but I still watch Succession. I want to get into Billions. I started watching Succession only because it kept on popping up because I was a Westworld. I'm a Westworld fan. Mm-hmm. So I'm, a, I'm an HBO drama fan. Great. So I'm just, you know, I'm always on the HBO app. And when when you run out of the thing you want to watch, you got to watch that second box that's next to you. Yes. And it kept on being succession. They kept on pushing it. You know, they come to jam it down your throat because they keep on showing you the previews before the thing that you want to watch. Yes. So then you you binge watch the thing you want to watch and then you got nothing left but succession. So I started watching succession and it does take itself too seriously. Yeah. It's just like. And things that happen in it. And the character that is Cameron Fry from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but older. I thought that was a joke, but it's not a joke character. It doesn't seem like Connor? Yeah, Connor. <laughs> Connor seems all f- all flimsy and like, I go with the flow. But then he's like this huge, like, power-hungry, like, egomaniac. I know. And then the same with uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother character. Yeah. He acts like he's a total doofus, but then he'll try to make power moves. Like, the characterizations to me don't make total sense. 
Yeah, I feel like the show looks great, and then it th- like the, some of the story stuff doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, and I like the music at first, but now it's like so much to have like those hardcore pianos behind all these scenes. It's very over dramatic. Like the show yeah. looks like it's going to be really good, and then you're like, this really isn't that good. But yeah. then you start it, and you're like, well, now I have to watch all of it. I have to say, the episode this past week, which I think was episode five, was genuinely very good. I, need, I think I'm on three. Someone knocked out all their teeth, which was like unexpected and very good. Someone knocked out whose teeth? Someone knocked out their own teeth. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. Ooh, I'll watch that. Okay. Well, I'll watch yeah, that's that the thing. I know how to get you get you hooked. Ooh. Um, so you start doing the comedy writing. What's the first thing you wrote? I started to... So basically, I finished my MFA, and I'm like... St- I finally, at that point, go see a Second City review. And like the second I see that, I'm like... No pun intended. I'm like, oh, this is the t- kind of writing I want to do. Like this satirical, yeah. really focused writing. Um, so at that point, I went... I had a production grant from school that I was supposed to make a short film with, but... I just used all the money to take the entire sketch program at Second City, which takes 13 months. Yeah. So this was in Chicago? This was, at this time, I lived in Chicago. Yes. Okay. This is in Chicago from like t- 2009 to 2012. So you really, so you did almost like an immersion comedy program with mm-hmm. them. And is that like an everyday? Like what's the, what's the school like to be in the Second City curriculum? Like what's the, what, so sketch- how do you get taught how to be funny? Yeah, they really take it slow. So yeah. Sketch is six levels that are two months long each, so literally a year, and you meet once a week for a year. Um, and you start with just the first level. You don't even write a sketch, really. You just start learning characters and, like, how to heighten. And then level two, you're just kind of writing a bunch of sketches. Um, level three, you learn different forms, like fish out of water and things like that. And then level four, which I think is the best level, you write from personal experience. Like, you put yourself and people you know into the sketches. Um, and then level five is pre-production on a show. So five and six you do with the same group. And then um, level six, you produce a show that runs for a month in one of their theaters with like 100 seats. So wow. for a month, you get to see four shows of the sketch, your sketches produced, which to me is like the most valuable thing you can ever have. Yeah. Um, they sell out even though they usually get like an 8 p.m. on a Friday slot. So mm-hmm. a good time slot. Um, and I feel like I learned so much. Like I've independently produced things for years. I feel like everything I'm doing, marketing with this book, I learned there. Like... Mm-hmm. I learned so much. That's incredible. Yeah. And it was just like Chicago is such a cheap place to live in a lot of ways. So I was like working and fundraising at a theater, making like 30 grand, but like loving life, Mm -hmm. living high on the hog. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess you can see how so many people have come out of the Second City program and been so successful. Mm -hmm. Like, do they just have a really good way of, of being able to break down comedy and be like, I guess, I mean, do people stay in the entire immersion like system? Like, do, do they do all the classes you did? Or do people yeah. kind of burn out or do they do the entire thing? I think people tend to do. So I never even did the improv program. I took the first few levels. But at that point in my life, I wasn't ready. Um, I was like 26. Improv seems like a whole different monster. It is. So sketch, they teach you like brainstorming techniques that I literally still use and teach today that are mm-hmm. so basic. But I just think it's such baby steps that it's even if and I was so bad at writing sketch for like literally the first six months. Like if I hadn't prepaid the whole program, I would have been like, girl, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so knowing that it was going to take me a year, I think, took the pressure off. They were like, you're all bad. You all are bad. Um, and I think they do that in improv, too. They're just like, look, no one here is a superstar. Yeah. We're starting from scratch. Whereas, like, I've gone through the UCB improv and sketch program, and it's, like, literally by halfway through the first day of improv one, you're doing scenes. Yeah. So it's a different different type of teaching style. And so you go through the, the whole thing, mm-hmm. and you're having – oh, what was the show that you made that they, that they ran – what was that about? It was called Dopium of the Masses. Okay. Um, and it was like kind of like a loose like social media is making a stupid theme, which was like pretty hip in 2010. <laughs> Very hip in 2010. Um, and then I went on to produce. So the Second City style of naming things is like always pun based. Okay. Um, so they have like reviews called like Between Barack and a Hard Place. Ah. My favorite one is um, Slaughterhouse Five Cattle Zero. <laughs> Um, so you tend to give your reviews like pun names. So I did one called Comfort Zone Defense, um, North Polar Disorder, which I realize now is like not a super sensitive name. Um, <laughs> regret that one a little bit. Um, hey, we were kids. What well, did we know? <laughs> and then there's some other ones. I did a whole bunch of them. But um, yeah, just I just self-produced at like various theaters around Chicago for like two more years before I moved to Portland, Oregon. So. And then you moved to Portland. Now you had met your husband in college. We had gone to college together. Okay. I feel that we did not meet. My husband has what I feel is a false memory of us meeting one night. Oh. Um, at a party called Golf, where 
before this became illegal, um, you would go between all <laughs> I the... I like that you prefaced <laughs> yeah. the story with that. <laughs> so Baltimore, um, Hopkins now has more housing, but at the time, almost all the students lived in row houses. Mm-hmm. Um, so there would be nine houses, and you would have to go take two drinks at each one <laughs> to complete a round of golf. Okay. And every house had a different drink but then of course you're walking around the streets intoxicated so the next year we'll get arrested and then we're not allowed to do golf anymore after that probably a good idea uh, probably a good idea yeah um so he says he saw me standing at the top of a staircase like my sophomore year dressed as a golf player but i don't have that memory so <laughs> but i mean it happened i mean you were dressed as a golf player i was dressed as a okay. golf player and i was at the party that night so it is possible it's possible but then you guys didn't reconnect until much later no when we he went to um university of chicago and he got a phd and then um someone we, smarty pants he's a physicist i did not know that oh you didn't know that yeah no. <laughs> he has a phd i know in that physics. he comes home during our book club and he walks the dog <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what i know about your husband <laughs> he and the dog are just doing equations <laughs> physicist he's a physicist so he was getting a phd in physics at u chicago and i was getting my mfa so the opposite at um northwestern <laughs> which are literally two hours apart on public transit in chicago wow um so a mutual friend of both of ours came through chicago and um he was he asked to stay with my husband mike and he was like caitlin do you want to meet up and i was like no and then he was like what if i bring this other guy mike and i was like okay so I went and met up with them, and then this man had to watch us, like, essentially be on a date together. Cute. So, and then we were dating from that night on. <laughs> That's wonderful. It was, like, one of those big Chicago nights where we started a bar, we went to another bar, then we went to the top of the Hancock Tower and, like, got drinks on the 95th floor. <laughs> and you had, like, a chaperone. And we had a chaperone. Eventually, like, numerous Hopkins people we knew joined us, so we had a group of, like, 20, but we were just, like, in the middle having a date. <laughs> That's nice. It was a low-pressure first date. Really yeah. nice. That's good. And then we dated, um, I think we met, we met in 2009 and then we dated and we got, um, he got a job offer at Intel in Portland and Intel would not pay for me to also move there unless we were engaged. So we got engaged. There you go. Romance is not dead. Not at all. <laughs> it was going to happen anyway, but it's just like, whoa, free plane tickets. <laughs> you just need the motivation. You just need a little push sometimes. Yeah, it's like, and then it's like, I'm not moving to Portland, Oregon unless we're married. Like I would never move there on my own. So how is Portland, Oregon? I've been there one time yeah. for a wedding. I enjoyed it. It's an, I will say it's a super nice place to visit and lots of people like living there. I unfortunately was not one of them. <laughs> they have good public transportation? Not really. No? It's a streetcar and they have terrible traffic problems. So the no. streetcar doesn't have its own track. So it gets caught in traffic. Oh, I only took it once when I was there. Well, I, I walked most places because it's pretty small. Yeah. Um, it's good. I, it, I think it's like very, to me, Portland had not a lot of diversity. And I mean that of, of like people of thought, like mm. I, I didn't find it a very stimulating place for me personally. That doesn't mean it's not a stimulating place. Um, but for me personally, it just like wasn't giving me what I needed from a place. So you guys moved from there to New York? To New York in 2016. Okay. Yeah. He had to move first because he got a job and I was teaching at a college. So, so we... you taught writing? Yes. I taught at a school called Pacific Northwest College of Art. And I actually, uh, my mom saw an ad on Craigslist looking for a professor and she sent it to me and I was like, mom, that's a scam. And then, no, it wasn't a scam. I got an assistant professor job of Craigslist. <laughs> did you did you question the school on the interview? Like, you know, I found this job yeah. in a posting on Craigslist. You know, I was I meant I was trying to buy a couch, and I ended up yeah. getting a job. And they were like, "Yeah, we're just like trying to to throw out a wide net." And they're they like, <laughs> it's "What a do pretty you wide net?" Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, "What do you want to teach?" And I was like, "Uh." Modern comedy and satire and dystopian fiction. And they were like, get it, girl. And that's what I taught. And then I taught screenwriting, too. Cool. Yeah, like straight up dystopian fiction. Like World War Z is one of my favorite books. And now it's like we're just reading World War Z. Yeah. Like Station Eleven, The Giver. Um, what else do we read? Uh, Children of Men, The Book. But then also watch the movie because the movie's great. <laughs> I have not uh, read World War Z. <sighs> World War Z is one of my. Did favorite you like the movie? Uh, no, I almost said movies. It's one of my favorite books. I, the movie I think is okay. Okay. However, I personally believe and have believed this for many years that it should have been an HBO miniseries. I feel like that now, seeing how HBO does things, I feel like that for a lot of movies. Yeah, and the you thing know? is, it takes so they had to create the Brad Pitt character. And ironically, when I was in grad school, I worked at a production company that produced that movie. So I read early versions of the script before I read the book. Mm-hmm. Um. So I know that there were other versions. Yeah. Um, so they had to create this character for Brad Pitt that doesn't isn't in the book. In the book, everything is split up by country. So they could have done like an HBO series 
of like the week that China covered up yeah. the first outbreak. And that would have been amazing. Um, I understand you need some characters, but yeah, I'm real lost opportunity in my opinion. <laughs> I think about this a lot. <laughs> I feel like, because you watch, you watch the HBO. I do, yes. So are you up on Sharp Objects? I haven't started that yet, but I have read the book. Looks great. I feel like what HBO is doing and what I guess what a lot of uh, like the Netflixes and all these folks who are, who are putting together more of a, a season of a thing on, on like a book, they're doing better at, ma- at, at adaptations overall. Yes. You know, I, I like think... instead of like, instead of gutting a book and make it into a movie, yeah. they're much more not changing the book as much as they used to. I'm seeing. Yeah. And I think also like the ability to do any amount of episodes. So like I think Big Little Lies was like eight. Um, I think some of them are like six or seven. Like. Mm-hmm. It really does seem like they're able to, like, yeah, choose the best format for the material as opposed to, like, how would you... Like, World War Z does not work as a movie. Yeah. I mean, like, it's How can like, we make this gigantic book into a 90 minutes? Yeah, and it has, like, sweet parts of it. Like, the Israel scene is amazing when the zombies come over the wall. Um, the plane crash is awesome, and I don't like to fly, but still, I thought that was awesome. I thought the opening in the city was awesome, but yeah. just, like, did not hold together. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't see the movie either. You should... The movie is good, and I think that... The scoring is good. The music is good. But yeah, story-wise, does not hang. Do you have people who influence you who are writers? Like, who who do you like to read? Who who are satirists who you've kind of crafted maybe the way that you approach a topic? I don't think I write like him, but I was obsessed with Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy growing up. <gasps> Jack Handy. Uh, I would always have them as my AM away messages. <laughs> like, other people would be like, dashboard confessional lyrics and i was like the crows were calling his name thought call <laughs> people were like what's that i'm like it's a deep thought <laughs> those are great books yeah and just his whole i'm not an absurdist but like his whole way of spinning i feel like i learned to write a joke from him like yeah the surprise the reversal yeah the surprise at the end yeah is there a formula for writing that you teach when you teach people because yeah. you teach people how to mm-hmm. write comedy yes and like what is we can give you a plug because you write what is the um it's a, a online course yes i wrote the second city satire writing course for second city so you can take the classes from anywhere in the world and how many people are in the classes you teach online usually 15 per term okay how but, long is a term uh a month okay and then there's like three levels but um sometimes right now we have two full terms open so there's 30 people um and brooke preston teaches the other ones <laughs> so so you created this course i did yeah and now it. and brooke was one of your students mm-hmm. and now she teaches one of the courses yes yeah, she graduated that's amazing <laughs> yeah and that's what i have to say like even though i wrote just fully dramatic crap during grad school like i did learn how to craft a curriculum and then when i went to uh indonesia as well like i learned how to like create a curriculum actually built for learning <laughs> which i don't think a lot of comedy people learn to do yeah um so that's a skill i'm really grateful i got from grad school so if, if you can give a writing for the internet, uh, a quick first lesson, what's the first thing that you tell a writer who wants to write for the internet to do in your, in your class? Well, you have to read for the internet, first of all. Like, you have to read every day, even just headlines. New Yorker, McSweeney's, Weekly Humorous, The Belladonna. Like, Thank you. Especially, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. I think when there's, like, a hot breaking topic, see how every site hits it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the things to look out for are, like, what is the point of view of the author? What are they saying to you? What is the comedic premise? What is the unusual heightened thing that's in the title? And what is the format of the piece? Is it a monologue? Is it diary entries? Is it dispatches? Like, almost always the format of the piece is in the title. Yeah. Um, so I think people leave that out and, like, they'll be like, 10 ways. And it's like, no, like, 10 dispatches is better than 10 ways. Right. Or 10 fairy tales. Or don't have a number in there because that's dumb. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, there's, like, we learn in the first week all these different terms but I would also say a huge thing is do your brainstorming by hand. Don't do it on your computer. Like write everything down? Yes. Because we like start with like a loose process that then you gradually solidify to get specific. But when you do it on your computer, you're just deleting stuff constantly. So right. you need like those early like inklings. All little scratch outs. Yeah. Or just don't scratch them out. Like write down something that's dumb. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. What was the first thing that you wrote um, that was like comedy? Um, was it like a short piece? I don't know. That's funny. I think I wrote like the first act of a screenplay in college that just like I had no, no control over the tone. But now in retrospect, I realized it was a dark comedy and it was based off, um, somewhat off something that had happened to me in high school. Um, I worked at a pharmacy 
at the front, but I was a terrible worker. But it turned out the pharmacy had been like running an illegal Medicare scheme. And so, but my signatures were on all the packages when the FBI busted them. <laughs> so it's about like the inner workings of this pharmacy and this like kind of idiot girl at the front. Yeah. So I made myself the main character, but I'm just kind of like a bumbling idiot. Okay. And so I wrote, I forget what it was called, but I like wrote that and it was clear it was comedic, but I had no grasp of my instrument at that point. And maybe with like, it seems like with comedy, things start out being more like dark irony. Yes. And then it turns more into satire. Yes. For me, I always kind of start too low. I think some writers start way too high and you have to like pull them back and be like, hey, give us like a little thing that's real. And I always start too low. Um, So I know that's like kind of my Achilles heel. And then I have to like make everything like 20% higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that at this point I'm like anchored in reality. (laughs) And um, I'll completely, well, are you trying to to write for other sites now? Or are you 100% focused on Belladonna stuff and book stuff? Like, do you still write things and think, I'm going to send this to McSweeney's or I'm going to send this to New Yorker? And like, are you still actively pushing things out? Or are you kind of yeah. like, yeah, I kind of got my own thing right now with my <laughs> book that I have coming out? It's hard because it's like we all work full time still. So yeah. like I also write for a public radio show called Livewire. So it's like I do that. I do, you know, I teach. I do other freelance stuff. I run the site unpaid. <laughs> and then like to do other stuff on top of like now promoting the book. But, like, occasionally, like, the spirit moves me. Like, yeah. the Belladonna woman, we co-wrote another piece, like, a month ago called At Last Gender Flipped Movies for Him. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so it was, like, was called, good. like, Manly Bird. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was fun. It's, like, if I get a bolt of inspiration, but I just don't have time these days to sit down and be, like, all right, tired brain, I'm cracking you. <laughs> You're, like, I think right now I just want to walk my dog. Yes, I want to walk Zan and <laughs> hang so you, out. So now you're a dog mom. Yes. And you've had the dog for how long? I've had the dog for nine months. And is this something that you had been looking to do or it kind of was thrust upon you and now you're a dog mom and you're like, I've n- I don't know how I ever lived without a dog. Yeah, we had talked about it and um, I think we thought we were going to get a puppy. My husband's never had a dog. He grew up with ferrets. Um, as one does. As one does. <laughs> Not me. But or I hear most other people. people do. <laughs> um, so I had a dog growing up, so I kind of knew it was going to be a lot of work. Um, but yeah, we went to like the adoption van outside the union square petco and this dog is slightly larger than i wanted but my husband had a very strong emotional reaction to him he's half husky (laughs) he's like he's like a big dog that thinks he's a lap dog yes he often tries to get on your lap at the club yeah yeah so he's yeah he's a sweet guy um he can be very energetic and he has his own instagram account he does it's at zando calrissian which is a star wars pun (laughs) his name is xander though (laughs) xander and on top of all of these other things, you're a pizza scientist. I am a pizza scientist. Tell me about how you're a pizza scientist. <laughs> I am, like, pizza is just, like, forever my favorite food. I call it my equilibrium food with my husband. Like, if I'm ever, like, sick, I'm like, bring me a piece of pizza. <laughs> um, but I've, it's just, like, a, it became a joke. And I used to want to start a blog that, like, paired uh, frozen pizzas with wine but I just like didn't have time to do that. What's the best? What's the frozen pizza I'm always thinking of? That... I think Red Baron is the best frozen pizza. Red Baron is. That's I also very like good. Celeste thin crust. Yes. But what was the one that was the? It was French bread pizza. Yes, but I've never owned a toaster oven, so I yes. could not. You can't make those in the regular toaster or the, the oven. F- it really has to be a toaster oven. Yeah, it has to be a toaster oven. Yeah. So I just went through, like, especially in grad school, and I would get Giordano's and Lumalnati's and Gino's East, and I just spent a lot of my time thinking about pizza yeah. and ranking them. I have like numerous lists on my computer. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how this project is going to come to fruition, but I've started just putting it in my bio that I'm a famed pizza scientist, hoping it will You got to come leave. check out this new pizza place, pizza scientist, and then people are going to want you to like rate their pizza. Yep. That's kind of what I want. I kind of want to like segue all this book writing stuff is like really just to have like a pizza rating blog. That could definitely happen soon. Our neighborhood has lots of good pizza. Where? You made a face like I'm crazy when I said that. I don't like Mother Dough on 7th Ave. I haven't been there. It's very overpriced. It's $24 for like a personal pizza. I think it's for two, but I eat it all at once. <laughs> I I think, well, there's solid regular New York slice, which Where? is I think what I usually get. Okay. Which is nothing fancy. It's just a regular slice by a stereotypical pizza man. And that's Pizza Town. 
which is on Fifth Avenue. Oh, I do like Pizza Town, and I like Patsy's on Flatbush. Patsy's is good. Well, I yeah. mean, Pat, that's like a classic, Patsy's. Yeah. But, like, Pizza Town is not fancy. It is just a place. Yeah. And it's been run the exact same way for, like, a bajillion years. That's what you want. And they're not trying to be, like, a fancy Brooklyn eatery. They're just, like, a pizza place. And people yeah. sit in there, and they shove the slice in their face, and then they leave. Like... Like, I went to Emmy Squared in Williamsburg, and first of all, the pizza was too expensive. Again, $25 for something I could eat on my own and still be very hungry. Yeah. And it just, it was too hip. Like, it was trying to do Detroit style, but it was too airy. It's what is like, Detroit style oh, pizza? Oh, boy. Wow. So there's a new Detroit, a Detroit style pizza place coming by the owners of Artichoke. It's called Lions and Tigers and Squares. Oh, my. <laughs> so it's square pizza that's baked in a tin, so every piece has, is a corner piece with, like, that caramelized cheese. Okay. Yeah. Highly recommended. Delicious. So it's kind of like a, a spin on Chicago style. Yes. So and it's kind of deep dishy, but everything's deep dishy. Yes. Okay. There's a franchise called Jets that I like very seriously actually want to buy a franchise of um, with my siblings. <laughs> I bring it up all the time. Um, but there's a franchise called Jets that makes delish, delicious Detroit style pizza. I'll have to try that. I have not. I've only had the I mean, I They're literally just eat. Yet. I just eat pizza. Well, I mean, unfortunately, an artichoke opened up on Fifth Avenue. Yes. And when you get into a habit of getting a slice of artichoke pizza, like the actual artichoke pizza, yeah. that's like coma-inducing. Also, I burn my tongue on the artichoke sauce. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's like creamy. Yes. And cheesy and artichokey. Artichoke will do bad things to your stomach. And you have to like, it. you have to eat it with almost like a fork and knife. Like, is it that yeah. kind of heaviness? You can't fold it because there's like, like you can't molten fold it. hot artichokes. Yeah. artichoke You can't even sauce. pick it up. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things like in my scientific method. I I talk about and rate. Mouthfeel is something mm-hmm. that I've I've heard um people rating pizza. Mouthfeel. Mouthfeel. I also think it has to pair with alcohol. Yeah, like um, a wine. Like a wine or a beer. Yeah. And like you can eat pizza with water, but like if you're not gonna drink alcohol, you have to like drink a soda. Yeah. Yeah, like a coke. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You need to pair it with something. So what kind of <laughs> what kind of toppings are you used to? I'm a pepperoni okay. person. Um and then almost nothing else. Big purist. Okay. And does the husband share your love of pizza? He, I will say my husband is like an inherently a healthy eater. He's like someone grew up like craving like nice steamed pieces of fish. Just <laughs> like something I can't relate to. I grew up going to McDonald's. Bring me kale. So like last night, because I have not been feeling well, we had like steamed cod and uh, steamed collard greens. And I have to say it was good, but I felt very virtuous. Like yeah. that's not like a normal thing. Right. But no, so he'll like eat pizza if he hasn't had it in a while, but he won't like think about it all day and then like have to have it. He won't fantasize about it and have to write like... He won't literally put it on the cover of his book as an erotic icon. (laughs) (laughs) But you do, and that's why it's wonderful. Um, So it's called New Erotica for Feminists. It's the book coming out in November. Everybody has to pre-order it now. Pre-order it now. You can get it on Amazon, the Penguin Random House website, um, any indie bookseller. But yeah, we're gonna. It's coming out in the U.S., the U.K., and Canada, November thirteenth, twenty eighteen. And are you gonna have a audiobook version of this? We are. And do you know who's gonna do it? I don't yet. Oh, that'd be so much fun. We'll see. You I could, don't like, have pick. good enough diction. I need like a, a good person to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I think. Um, and we're gonna hopefully have a book party in uh, Brooklyn, and then do a little tour across the U.S. So. Gonna be on all the shows. I know I'm gonna be on Livewire in Portland in December. Okay. And then don't know about any other shows, so. Maybe like live with uh, uh, Kelly and whoever else. I don't know. Who's Hoda. on these shows? Hoda? Is Hoda on there No, now? no, no. I'm thinking of Kathy Lee and Hoda. That's, I feel like, where the show would it, I'm not sure it would be a Kelly. Who I could see Kelly you. Now? Uh, is it Ryan Seacrest? Uh, maybe. He has too many shows. He has a lot of shows. He can't have that many. Uh, but yeah, like I would go on like the 11 a.m. You have to go on the hour. book tour. Yeah. <laughs> have you, is, you have to go on a book tour. How cool is that? I don't know if we're, we like are talking to the publicity, uh, publicity team next week. It's all happening very fast. Like normally this process takes like three years and we're doing like seven months. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's exciting. It is exciting. And it's like I wanted to write a book my whole life. I didn't necessarily think it would be erotica, but <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> Embrace it. And uh, you're very uh, big on the tweeter. Um I- People can follow you. Uh, is it at? Is it your full name? No, it's at Kunkletron. That's right. It's at Kunkletron. Uh, so think of my last name, but a robot. That's also the name of my LLC. Like very consistent branding. <laughs> my Instagram. <laughs> I don't know why someone called me. I've had like many Kunkel names. Like growing up, someone called me Kunkel Stiltskin for a while, <laughs> which I liked. But Kunkletron, I just like. 
I think of like I had a coach, a swim coach once say, like, think of your bodies as robots. Like sometimes the robot just has to power down. And so I've actually always thought of my body as a robot since then, which makes you sound insane. No. Um, so Kunkletron felt like a good name. Kunkletron. <laughs> you need to have like an illustration of yourself as a robot. I have one. Do you? Yes. Oh, I have to see it. I have a lot of illustrations of myself. That's I worked at an art school in Portland. I was just like constantly commissioning students to do illustrations of me. Paint me. It's like you can give someone $75 and have the most delightful thing. Yeah. I have my Christmas card illustrated every year with me, my husband, and the dog. Really? Yeah, it's like only $150. And then it gives me pleasure like the whole year. You need to have like a, like a gallery show of just your Christmas cards. Well, we've done them th- Three, uh, two years in a row. So the first one was me and my husband. This year, we just added the dog's face in between us. Okay. This year, I'm going to add the book. <laughs> so we're just adding icons to the original illustration. Just a growing family. <laughs> you got to have fun, Marty. You know what? You do. <laughs> fun in book club, fun on the podcast, fun with your Christmas cards. You d- yeah, absolutely. That's like, again, where the comedy and like the older suburban mother of five intersect. <laughs> Love my Christmas cards. Yes. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. People can follow you online at Kunkletron. Mm-hmm. And on, also on Instagram. And um, I just did my first story yesterday, so I'm like up on the stories now. I think I got an alert that said that you had done a story, and everyone was probably like, oh my God. It just has seemed too time-consuming, but I feel like I could do it maybe a couple times a month. <laughs> it gets addictive because you can see hack- immediately when people look at it. I know, which is kind of alarming to me because a lot of people I didn't know were following me were looking at it. Yeah. And I'm like, who are these people? Who are these people? <laughs> yeah. And then you get weirded out and then you do it again and you're like, oh, it got more people. Yeah, it is It is fun. I will say I enjoyed adding all the icons. Yeah, it's fun. I feel like with social media, I've like done Twitter for so long. Um, I like Instagram, but now I'm like almost done with Facebook. So I have a little more space in my heart to do some stories. Because Facebook doesn't seem to work anymore. Doesn't you know? work. I just stopped using it. Like, I'll use Instagram, and Instagram kind of pushes to Facebook. Yeah. So that's what I do. But, like, I don't I, I don't go on Facebook and post things anymore just because it, yeah. it doesn't seem to, like, the, the algorithms don't work anymore. Like, nothing No, matters. they don't work for us. But, yeah, they work for other places. But, yeah, and I also think, like, you can go on, and even if you want to only see your personal stuff, and if you open it, like, three hours apart, you'll see exactly the same stuff. So, yeah, yeah no, I'm uh, done. Yeah. Done with the Facebook. Done with the Facebook. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. We had a false goodbye. We did. This is a real one. Yeah, I guess. Um, thanks for listening. This is Talkward. Uh, please. Oh, um, you have a, an email newsletter I wanted to ask you about. Oh, yes, yes. So tell us about the email Another newsletter. False and people can, can sign up for your email uh, newsletter. Yeah, so it's just I started to put together this newsletter of just comedy and satire writing tips. So I interview people. Um, so this next one I have Ginny Hogan, a former guest on Talkward. Ginny Hogan. Um, and, and I'm... Uh, What's the what's the show called? Uh, Weekly delivery or guaranteed delivery? Guaranteed delivery. Yeah, a great stand up. Um, and then I do like uh, an interview from them with the writing process, and then I do some news and generally do a roundup of other opportunities. So that's awesome. It's supposed to go out monthly, but we're on like more of a six to seven week schedule at the moment. Eh, it's a little. So how do people get on that email list? Go to uh, my website, which is caitlincuckle.com, and you'll see a sign up on the side because I. I couldn't get like an exact URL. <laughs> so go to CaitlinKunkel.com. That's uh, Caitlin with a C and Kunkel with a K. Yep. And you can follow Weekly Humorist at Weekly Humorist. Sign up for our uh, weekly uh, e-newsletter at WeeklyHumorist.com. And come to the Guaranteed Delivery uh, live comedy shows the first Wednesday of the month. Our next one is August 1st. And Ooh. you should come. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be on vacation that week. Oh. Family vacation. <laughs> well, we'll get you in September then. Yes, I will. Today's show is sponsored by Swill, the liquor store in your pocket. Go to GetSwill.com and use coupon code FUNNYPOP for $5 off your first order. Today's show is also brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com slash humorist and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash humorist. Talkward is distributed by Humorist Media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.